And so the word that we uh, want to share with you today in this series, What's the Word?, is the word circles. Circles. Would you say that word with me? Circles? And uh, when uh, circles, and circles are a very, very powerful thing. And uh, when the ministry was birthed, uh, Gwen and I sat with three families in a circle. And what we began to do is that we began to study together. We began to share together. We began to pray together. We uh, uh, put our faith together. And with that, God opened doors with a tremendous and an amazing story of the birth of Triumph Christian Center. And uh, we're so thrilled and honored that as God is speaking to us today, um, you've heard uh, Elder Achi over the last several weeks talk about uh, small group ministry. And in these small group ministry, when we talk about small groups, we're talking about the champion groups, champion groups. And in the past, one of the things we've done is we've softly uh, approached the concept of groups. But in this season, we have an intense focus on groups. And we have an intense focus on groups uh, simply because of three questions that I want to answer for you today. Number one, what is a champion group? The second question that I want to answer to you is why uh, have these groups? And then the third question is why do it now? And uh, to talk about that, uh, let me answer first the, the what. What are uh, champion groups? Because uh, the most important thing is why, but I certainly want to, for you to know when we talk about to make champion groups, to make sure that we're all on the same page, we need to know what it is that we are doing. And so uh, champion groups are a group of eight to ten people who meet together regularly to make friends, to grow in the faith, and to practice what the Bible teaches. I want you to notice that it doesn't say learn about the Bible. How many of you know that uh, we can hear the words of God, we can hear the Bible, we can be taught the Bible in here, but character is not built in in, um, an auditorium where we're gathered together. It's built when we go outside of this place. And so what we want to do is we want to develop relationships and friends. We also want to grow in our faith, and we want to practice or do what the Bible teaches. The book of James tells us like this. He says that, Do not just be hearers only, but be doers of the word. And so we want to be doers. We want to be a doer. You know, there's a very, uh, uh, we know that Nike, Nike has a a tagline or a slogan. And what's Nike's slogan? Does anyone know that? I'm going to ask you that together. And if you know it, would you just shout it out with me? One, two, three. See, you know Nike's slogan. Do you know that that's was spoken before Nike ever began to come out with that slogan. It was spoken by a a Christ follower. It was a man by the name of Art Williams. And people always talk about what they're going to do. Man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. He said, just do it. And he just would just say, just do it, just do it. Now, Nike trademarked that thing and made a whole ton of money on it that you know today what that brand is. And so... um, so what we want to do is we want to, the, the Bible teaches us that we should be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And, and what it does is it gives us an analogy of this is that I don't know if they still have that in school today, but when I was growing up, that you could be an audit student 
And an audit student was someone that would go and they would get the information, but they didn't have to do any homework. And people uh, kind of like being an audit student because you could go to class if you wanted to. You could hear the word, but you didn't have to do any of the assignments. The amazing thing about an audit student is that at the end of the semester, the audit student, because they didn't do the assignments, did not, did not get a grade. And if you don't get a grade, then you don't go get the promotion to the next level. And so uh, it's one thing to get the information. It's another thing to become doers of what you know. And that's what causes promotion to take place in our lives. And so uh, what we want to be is a place, uh, a group of people that meet together regularly and make friends, grow in our faith, and to practice what the Bible teaches. And we are emphasizing our champion group simply because this is what God has spoken to our elders. You know, why small groups? Why are champion groups? This is what God has spoken to our elders. Our elders agree on this. This is what God has spoken to our leadership. This is what uh, we believe that God has said that to, uh, it, to be a place that encourages, that equips, and to empower people to live uh, successful Christian lives will happen in circles, not in rows. Now, when we look at that and we begin to focus on that, we think about the church, and what we do is we define the church as a place that we go to and then we leave. If you think about it, people say, um, you know, where are you going? I'm going to church. And what we are generally you're saying is that we're going to a building. And, uh, and you can leave this place and then some, you, someone gives, uh, you get a call uh, and someone says, hey, where are you? Or what are you doing? You said, I'm leaving what? I'm leaving church. And so one of the amazing things that has happened here is there's been a transition where we define church as a place we go to and a place that we leave. But we, but we don't really find that definition in the Bible. The church was supposed to be a family. The church was supposed, supposed to be like brothers and sisters that were in a very close relationship. And what they would do is that they would... Uh, whatever they needed, whatever uh, um, uh, care that they needed, whatever needed to be shared together, that they would share that and they would do that together. And so God says that, you know what, uh, going a place and leaving a place is, is fine. One of the things uh, that we recognize is that right, we don't communicate very much today. What we might do is we might send a quick text message. Have you ever called, and let's just say, uh, uh, someone? And uh, most likely it might be a younger person that you might call them. They don't answer the phone, but immediately when you hang up, they send you a text that says, hey, what's happening? What's up? What's up? It's like, wait a minute, I just called you. That's happened to me with one of our our children. You call them and they they, 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 in the phone and hang up and then they say, hey, dad, uh, I saw you call. What's happening? Call me back. So one of the things we recognize here is that we see that uh, we are a generation, really, uh, that don't talk much to each other. And you, and you know, most of you might have been, been experienced this, where uh, you, uh, your child may be upstairs somewhere in the house, and you call them, but they don't come, so what do you have to do? Text them. So you text them, and you're in the same house, and they may text you back and say, I'll be down a little bit later on. No, 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 you come down right now. But that communication was all through text messaging. And God says that that's okay for the world, but not okay for my people. And what we recognize then is that God desires his family to uh, have a deeper relationship where they will look out for one another, where they would encourage one another, and that they would care for one another. 
This morning, I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to read it this morning out of the NIV, but I want, to turn, I want you to turn into uh, your Bible. And when you get to Ephesians chapter 3, would you say, aha? Uh-huh. In Ephesians chapter 3, it's an interesting passage of Scripture because um, Paul was telling the church at Ephesus, he told them, God has a secret plan. And he says, God has a secret plan for you. God has a secret plan for your family. God has a secret plan for the world. And not everybody is in on his plan. But God wants you, the church at Ephesus, to be in on his plan. And so Paul speaks these words here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says it like this, champions. Let's read it together uh, like we know it's the word of his power. Now, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from where every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. In your where? In your where? So he noticed this, that God wants to strengthen you with power. That's where he says, by, from his spirit into your inner being. Now we got to look at what is my inner being? What is my inner being? And, and, and he tells us why, because your inner being is your, is your spirit. And so God says that I want to strengthen you with what I have, with what I placed on the inside of you. Look, we sing this song, it's your breath that's in our lungs. So we offer up to you our praise. We give it back to you. And so it really is where do you stand? Do you really believe it's his breath or it's your breath? And the Bible tells us in the book of um, Colossians, it says that it's created everything by him, for him, and through him. And so if it's his breath, what we're giving back to him is really what is his. So notice this. He says that I pray that out of his right glorious riches... (laughs) He may strengthen you with power. Uh, Look at this. This power is through his spirit into your spirit. Now, let's take a look at this here. Next verse. Why does God want to do that? So that, come on, let's read it together now. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, through what? Christ wants to dwell in your heart. How? Through faith. Christ wants to dwell in your heart through faith. Let's keep reading. Let's start again at the top and let's read it there all the way down now. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being being rooted and established in what? Being rooted and established what? And what God wants you to be in love. What does God want you to be in love? Now notice this. Rooted and established. Rooted and established. You know what? Uh. When we think about that and we look at that, as Paul was, uh, was saying, he says that I, I found, because God has a secret plan for you and I, and I want you to know it, that what I've been doing is I've been praying for you. And I've been praying that he'll strengthen your inner man, inner being, and, and so that you might be rooted and established. And when you think of something to be rooted, it's something that is growing. When you think about something that is established, it's something that is mature. So, so Paul is saying that, that, that he's praying that you are growing but you're also mature because a baby tree mm, during a storm cannot stand. It, but, but what he's saying that if you're rooted and established, when the storms of life comes, that you won't be swayed to and fro, you won't be destroyed, but you'll still be standing. Why? It's because you're rooted 
and you are established. And he says that, that you know what I found myself doing uh, over the last several months, uh, and more so this year than the last several years, is that uh, uh, as I, I prayed for you, I've prayed that God will cause you to be strengthened. Not for, I haven't prayed for you on my own uh, for cars and houses and promotions. What I've prayed for is that God would strengthen you. This particular passage, from his spirit into your spirit. I pray that God will strengthen your inner being, one, so that you might be rooted. And when the storms of life might come, that you're still standing. See, that's what we read when someone becomes a part of the family in Jeremiah 17. That's what the Psalm 92 says. Psalm 92, it talks about how uh, we shall be planted mm, like a tree by the rivers of water. And when the drought comes, your leaves will not turn, will remain green. Isn't that wonderful? And you'll always produce fruit. Uh, Psalm 92 says you shall flourish in the place where you're planted. But it talks about a palm tree. It talks about being planted like a palm tree. And you know what? You can go on the coast where the storms are the worst. But you know what? That's where the palm trees are. And, 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 and when the storm comes... Those leaves blow in the wind, but that thing stands right back up again. But the beauty about it, it says we shall be planted like a palm tree, but we shall grow like a cedar. And a cedar is a huge tree, but the root system is connected to other trees that are around it. And so when the wind blows, that the roots are established. They're connected to others that are around them, and so they, they don't move. They're supported by that which they are connected to. And so, so he says that, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. And I added the second being there because I want you to know <laughs> that there's an inner being. I should have uh, italicized this so you'll know. There's an inner being and then there's a being. And so God wants your inner being uh, to be uh, rooted and established in love. Look at this. Verse 18. Let's read it together. Now, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the... So notice this. God wants you to grasp how high his love is. He wants you to grasp how wide his love is. And he wants you to grasp how deep his love is. And he wants you to grasp every element of his love. And, you know, we're not used to that. We're not used to that, that kind of love. But God wants you to grasp that level of love. And, and, and when we look at that, we recognize then that that's what God wants. That's what God wants. He wants me to grasp that level of love. Now, now before we, we, we go any further, everybody knows Ephesians 3.20 that says, For my God shall do exceedingly abundantly more than anything you can ask for according to the what? Power that works in us. See, notice this. God wants to do more than you can think, dream of, think about, ask, according to how your inner being has been strengthened. So we, we quote Ephesians 3.20, but notice what's that's leading up to that. It's like that he wants to strengthen our inner being. But he says that there's power that comes. How does the power come? Together. How does the power come? Together. How are root systems connected? 
together. How do we grow as a cedar? Together. And, and so what we recognize then is that God is giving us a framework for how we practice what he instructs us to do. We see it in the uh, New Testament when he sent his disciples out two by two. And he says that, I want you to guys, I, I want you to go. And when you go, I want you to go, but uh, don't get distracted by people that won't accept. He says, shake the dust off from your feet and keep on trucking, baby. See, the, Jesus said, keep on trucking before we ever wrote a song about it. Matthew 7, you don't have to turn there, but I want you to write that down because later I'd like for you to go and read that. Read that. Because Matthew 7 and Jesus is talking about building a house and it is when he tells about the parable of building a house on rock and and those who build the house on sand now the amazing thing about the houses is that these two houses look exactly the same Uh, you would never know the difference between these two houses until the storm comes Jesus says that you build your house on on a rock and you build a house on a sand and when the storms come the house that was built on sand will be destroyed but the house that was built on the rock on rock will stand. And so uh, what we recognize then is that you can look at these houses and you can't tell if they're any different. They, they look the same until the storm comes. And the house that was upon the sand is destroyed, but the house that's on rock, it continues to stand. And, and, and that's what it's like when we come together as a body like this. We all look the same. And you don't know What's real? You don't know who is for real. What do you mean? Because we all are singing the same songs. We're all at the same service. And one person has built their life on the rock, and there may be another person that has built their life on sand. And you will not be able to tell the difference until the storms come. And the one that's built their house on sand, that, that you'll see them uh, going to and fro, and you'll see that it seems like that their life has fallen apart. But the one that's built their life on, on the rock will recognize that, you know what, the storms may come, I may lean, but man, after the storm is up, I'm not dealing with the pieces. I'm standing up like I was, as if the storm never happened. You know what's interesting about that is that there is a, there's a, there's a, a, an analogy that I was thinking about this week and this weekend I was talking about. And I remember going to the beach with our family. And, um, and let's just say, and I'm going to give you the analogy because our family, and maybe you've experienced that as well, that our, our family is right here. Our chairs, lounge chairs are right in this area here. And uh, we enter the water right here here, right in front of. But as you're going about doing what you do, what you recognize is that you have drifted far away from where you begun. And you look up and you recognize, wait a minute, there's Gwen over there. There's our umbrella. There are the kids. What has happened? See, the current will never leave you where you are. It will always take you somewhere. And if you don't pay attention, if you're not intentional, what happens is that the current, you will always flow with the current. And you'll just look up one day and can't believe that you have drifted as far. But the Bible says that we have an anchor, and our anchor holds, which is the solid rock. And his name is Jesus. And so if we're anchored in him, when the current comes, we don't move. And that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 62, he says that, look, 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 I will not be greatly moved. But then he began to, 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 to uh, go over who God was to him. 
And he began to talk about how he's his fortress and how God is the stability in his life. And he, he went from, I will not greatly be moved to a place that he says, look, I don't care what happens in my life. I will not be moved. Isn't it wonderful to know that you haven't drifted in life because you've drifted with the current of society, but you've stayed according to what the principles in the word of God says. And that's what God wants for his family. That's what God wants for you. And that's what God wants for, for me. And, because, and one of the things that happens is that when we come to church and we, and we can't see what's underneath that. And what matters is not what we look like together. But the real deal is when the storms of life come, will we go to pieces because our lives are on sand? And will we stand because our lives are connected to the anchor, to the rock? I love the way Proverbs 24 says this. It says it like this. Is that if you fall to pieces in a crisis, you need to read that. Let's read it together. Now, if you fall... No, no, no. You need to read that. Let's read it together now. If you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you. There, there wasn't much to you in the first place. Mm. Because you're only as strong as your foundation. And fruit may fall off the tree. Leaves may come off. But man, as long, and that's what the Bible says, that we are, we are, like the body, have many members. We in the body of Christ are many members, but we rely on one another for our strength. And so if you fall to pieces in a crisis, what is really saying, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, you were all by yourself before the storm. After the storm came, during the storm, you were by yourself. And, and I love the way uh, I was in, <clears throat> traveling somewhere in the, uh, in the, I think it was the East Coast. I think it was somewhere up there in the East Coast. I can't remember exactly where, but you know what? In Louisiana, we love grits. Gwen is a great, 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 great maker. Gwen can cook some grits, y'all. And I picked up a little bit of that, and, and I say my grits are almost, almost as good as hers. How many of you know you add butter to anything is good? You notice I said almost. That keeps you out of trouble. We were walking, watching a show the other day. It was a little comedy show, and a guy was asking, he says, so does your wife look uh, the same as she looked when you married her? Gwen looked over at me. We've been married for 34 years this year. She says, do I look the same that I looked when you married me? I said, better. I said, better, baby. She got up and says, I'm going to get me something to eat. What would you like? <laughs> so this is what I, uh, where I am and how we are praying uh, as a church. We're praying for you as a person. We're praying for your family. We're praying for our church. That at the end of the day, it's really not about all the stuff. But I want, you to f- I want you to fall more in love with Jesus. And that song that was being singing, I love nobody better or more than you. That's my desire. And as Jesus uh, began to say, as the Bible shares with us, that he wants us to understand the height, the width, the depth, uh, the breadth. Uh, my God, he wants us to stand the fullness of his love. But the only way to do that is that if we are strengthened in our inner being or our spirit is strong, which means that we are anchored and we're not just drifting with the currents. Now, I want to share something with you that you might be asking right now why I've answered the question, what are champion groups? I've answered that. Why small groups that God wants you to be, build your life on a rock. He wants you to be encouraged, equipped, and empowered. It doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. But why champion groups now? Why now? I want to share something with you. There's so much that has taken place in our country over the past several years. And as we look back on it, America was founded on the principles of 
of the Christian faith. Patrick Henry even talked about that in, in 1765, I believe, where he said that he made a speech uh, uh, to uh, Burgess, and his, in his speech to Burgess, and he said that America was not found on a religionist, but it was found by Christians on Christian values. And when we recognize that when we got our first president of the United States, George Washington, they gave him the oath of office. And at the end of that, he began to uh, say something that was not a part of that oath. And he said, so help me God. When they finished the oath, he said, so help me God. Why? Is he recognized that I don't have anybody that was before me. I don't have anything that I can base this on. So I'm going to need God to help me. We have seen presidents all throughout time that have repeated that, but it wasn't part of the oath. It was a part of a man who was doing something that no one else had done. And he knew that he couldn't do it on his own. And he says, so help me God. And we recognize that. And then we see also that Abraham Lincoln said that the president, being the president, it drove him to his knees in prayer because he had nowhere else to go. We find that uh, Thomas Jefferson, over time, he called Jesus' words the most important philosophy in life. And other people were looking at philosophers. And he says, look, the words of Jesus in the Bible is the Bible is the most important book. And the words of Jesus, the most important philosophy in life. These are our founding fathers. And they were integrating uh, in a very powerful way, uh, a way to continually understand that our nation is one nation under God, indivisible. And we are founded on Christian beliefs and we're founded on Christian values. You can go to the Supreme Court and what you find is that uh, the Ten Commandments and Moses is there. You can go to the White House and there's a, a prayer mantle that's installed in the White House. All throughout the foundation of America, Christian values and principles. And I love the way Patrick Henry says it. He says that because of our faith, we can allow others to come and practice their faith. But we are a, church, are, are, are a country that was founded and is a Christian country and founded on Christian values. But you know what's happened over time? There's been a current. There's been a drift that's taken place. Why? It's because we recognize that we cannot even say prayer in school now. And if you take prayer out of school, it is replaced with something else because there's a void. We recognize now that you can't pray in public, in certain public places now, in certain public assemblies now. And if you do pray, you cannot say in the name of Jesus for the respect of other faiths. Look at where our country has come from to where our country is going. I want to ask you something. What would happen if we came to a place where there were no public assemblies where we could share the gospel? What if happened if that there were no Christian buildings? What would happen if there were no uh, individuals that could publicly come out as Christian leaders in our country? What would happen? Look, five years ago, right here in the Houston metropolitan area, the mayor of Houston subpoenaed the sermons of pastors because they, they preached the Bible, what the Bible says about homosexuality. Can you imagine that if you continue to live a Christian life and you shared your values, that they would call you at some point a hate group? So what would happen if if there was a decision by the government that there are no more Christian assemblies, there are no more churches, we're going to get rid of the leaders. What would happen to, I want to give you something that's happened over history to in Russia and also in China. In Russia, they really focused on cathedrals at a time. They focused on the priest at a time. And Christianity was present in Russia. But what happened is that the Russian government said that we're going to get, ri they, they, we're going to get rid of all the cathedrals and we're getting rid of all the priests. And when that happened, 
the churches in Russia, Christianity in Russia, died. Why? It's because the church was based on gathering together in an assembly. But after you leave the church, you lived your own life and drifted with the current. But something happened similarly in China. And in China, uh, what, uh, they, they, they built uh, uh, cathedrals. They, they had uh, Christian leaders. But they did something a little bit differently because what they did is that they equipped and empowered the everyday Christian with how to understand the Word of God, how to share their faith, how to uh, share the gospel with others. And they met together all around the nation in groups, homes, fellowshipping together. But even last year in 2018, the government, the police went in and demolished the largest evangelical church in, in China. They, they locked up the, the ministers, the pastors that were there. But that wasn't the first time that they did it. Notice what happened when they did it in the past. When they did it in the past and they wanted to get rid of the churches, that they, 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 they uh, uh, locked up the uh, pastors. They locked up the leaders. They said you can't meet in public places. But because they had equipped the people that were Christ's followers, that when they de uh, demolished the churches in the past, the Christians in China were two million. But because everyday Christians, everyday people, that they weren't classified as the pastor of the church or an apostle or a teacher in the church, but because they were equipped and they were meeting together, they were uh, uh, fellowshipping together, they were praying together, they knew how to practice the word, they grew without any public assemblies from 2 to 70 million Christians simply because there were a people that were not identified by a place, but were identified by a leader, and his name is Jesus. The question we have to ask ourselves today, what would happen in America? We see what's happening. We see the trend. We see the things we would not have accepted that we're accepting now. What would happen in America if we could meet together in a place like this? What would happen in America if pastors were all put in jail and there were no public assemblies, what would happen to the church, or rather, which camp would you be in? Would you be in the camp that says, I don't know what to do. We have no place to go. We have no pastor to teach us. Or would you be in the camp that would say that I'm a Christ follower, that I'm equipped, I'm empowered, and I practice the word, and I know how to share it with someone else. So the church doesn't diminish or die, it expands. And it fulfills ultimately what God has said. And his God says this, that my glory shall cover the earth like the waters covers the sea. The question is, will you be an insider that's anchored or will you be an outsider that drifts with the current and the trends of the society at the moment?